We are the paradoxical ape. Bipedal, naked, large-brained. Long the master of fire, tools, and language, but still trying to understand ourselves. Aware that death is inevitable, yet filled with optimism. We grow up slowly. We hand down knowledge. We empathize and deceive. We shape the future from our shared understanding of the past. Carta brings together experts from diverse disciplines to exchange insights on who we are and how we got here. An exploration made possible by the generosity of humans like you. Thank you, and thank you very much for the invitation to join you today. As speakers of English, when we hear constructions like get 'em, bring 'em, take 'em, we analyse those as a verb and a pronoun: get them, or get him, bring them, or bring him. This analysis is supported by the fact that we read and write. We rarely see the informal forms written; it's usually the formal forms, and through schooling. Which generally tell us to use the formal forms and to leave the others alone, but we also know when it's appropriate to use which style uh, in which context. We're now going to move to a different context where speakers heard those constructions but analysed them differently. When Australia was colonised, there were about 250 languages spoken by Indigenous people. The speakers of the Australian languages. And the English speakers had to learn to communicate with each other very quickly. Usually, the English speakers didn't learn much of the Australian languages. The onus was on the Indigenous people to learn as much English as they could to get by with. So let's imagine that the English speakers were using the informal constructions a lot when they were speaking. Take them over there, bring them back. Constructions like that that we use all the time without thinking about it. The speakers of the Australian languages who hadn't yet learned English identified a pattern in what they were hearing. When they heard verbs like get, bring, take, they frequently heard something like um occurring after the verb, but they didn't hear that when the verb was something like walk, which doesn't have a direct object. So they came to analyse the um that we would think of as a pronoun as being a grammatical element that attaches to a transitive verb. It's a verb with an object. 
but not to verbs like walk and run. They didn't have literacy or schooling to influence their analysis. They just made this analysis from identifying patterns in the language being spoken to them and what they heard around them. So the transitive m or the transitive marker is a new, a new structure that came into that system uh, that was not the same as a structure that was already in English and it was not in the Australian languages either. But we can see where it came from. But the Australian languages did influence that structure in abstract ways. The form of im is clearly from English, but there are other influences from the Australian languages. I've just listed a few of them here. One is, for example, that in those languages, when you have a transitive verb construction, it's a different construction from an intransitive verb. So those speakers learn to pay attention to the transitivity of the verb in every clause because that was required by their grammar. So it made sense to them, based on their first languages, to have a different construction for a transitive versus an intransitive verb. In addition, there were rules for words and the sound systems within the language that the Australian verbs didn't suit very well uh, and the new analysis suited them better. So, for example, words in Australian languages are often at least two syllables long. If you have a short verb, adding the transitive marker made it longer and conformed more to the rules of the first languages. Similarly, words in Australian languages in that area didn't usually end with a cluster of consonants at the end of the word. So, again, adding that marker made the word shape conform more to the type of verb that speakers of those languages were used to. The im structure is a good example of some characteristics of a pidgin. The word forms come mostly from the language that was spoken by the socially dominant group, which we call the lexifier language. But a lot of the structure uh, and word meanings come from the other multiple languages that were being spoken by the creators. In addition, reanalyses take place, such as what we've just seen, through pattern-finding processes and second-language learning processes. A pidgin is a means of intergroup communication. You, speak to, you, you use it to speak to people whose language you don't know. And all of those speakers were still using their own first languages when they spoke to people within their same group. The pidgin spread throughout Australia as English speakers thread, spread throughout Australia. And in each place, there were Australian languages, and those speakers were contributing features to the new system. Indigenous people were brought together in groups and needed to interact with speakers of many other languages with whom, traditionally, they wouldn't have interacted much or at all. So they all needed a way to speak to each other. And this system was a good system to build on in order to do that. As speakers need, uh, needed to talk about more and more topics with each other, more and more elements were added from English and also from the Australian languages. Varieties of Northern Territory Creole were uh, derived from interactions of this kind. Here's an example. That mummy one and that beginning, and you can see there the transitive marker on the verb 
which came in via the pigeon. There's another interesting element there, which is been, meaning past tense. Again, the form is from English, have been, had been, but there's another reanalysis there, so it just means simple past tense. It's not part of the have been or had been construction. Research suggests that there's more than one developmental path for a Creole language, but this is one attested path. Again, the word forms come mostly from the socially dominant language, English, uh, but much of the structure and the word meanings come from the other input languages. In this case, there was an earlier pidgin that fed into the Creole. Reanalyses took place through pattern finding and second language learning processes, and the system expanded and developed. There was a pr uh, prior pidgin that was used for intergroup communication. A Creole is the first language of its speakers and is a full language. This variety of Creole uh, continued to develop and stabilise probably up until about the 1940s and 50s, and it currently has several varieties. We'll turn now to another kind of contact language in another setting in Australia. This is in a small Walpuri community in the Northern Territory. In this community, speakers over about the age of 35 mostly speak Walpuri, their traditional language. But they also code switch into varieties of English and Creole. Code switching is switching between languages in a single conversation. And by Aboriginal English there, I mean English with elements of the indigenous languages and elements of Creole in it. Younger speakers, younger adults and children speak in a new way which systematically combines elements from those sources and which we call light Walpuri. Children learn to speak this language from when they first begin to talk now. As they grow older, they also produce Walpuri and they code switch into the, the English-based varieties. The children now learn light Walpuri and Walpuri from birth. We'll look at a little background structure of the contributing languages before we look at the structure of light Walpuri. As you can see there, Walpuri is a suffixing language. A lot of the grammatical functions are indicated through suffixes on words. We can also see here the difference between the transitive and intransitive construction that I mentioned earlier that the pigeon creators paid attention to. The word there for child who's doing the chasing and the monster who's doing the taking have a suffix on them that doesn't occur on nouns when there's a transitive, an intransitive verb like walk. So it's in that way that these constructions are quite different. And in contrast, varieties of English and Creole indicate grammatical functions mostly through separate words and with fairly fixed word order. So how do these languages combine in this new system like Walpuri? You might notice that there are English verbs there, come and go. Much of the verb system of light Walpuri 
is from Aboriginal English and Creole verb structure. But not entirely. If you look at example three, there's actually a Walpri verb stem, but it has the Creole transitive marker on it. So the overall structure is uh, derived from those languages. You can see there the Walpri suffixing. So we have the verbal structure mostly from Aboriginal English and Creole, but we have all of the, the noun structure retained from Walpri. But in the verbal structure, there are also innovations which are indicated in green, the weem and the yum, and they're what we're most interested in today. This pattern of verbal structure from one source and noun structure from another source is fairly unusual in the world's languages. The differences between Walpri and Light Walpri are in the verb and auxiliary structure, which have these clearly different forms but the underlying abstract structure is more complicated. So the Wim and Neum constructions, which are the innovations, are part of, part of an overall system, much of which already existed in Creole and Aboriginal English. You can see there that for each word, there's a pronoun element like we, you, are, which is from I, and then there's another element, which mostly means time. So where did this weem and yum construction come from? We know that it's not something that comes from English. Well, it seems that the um came from English I'm, like the form. But there's also an um in the Aboriginal English and Creole pronouns, im and dem. Through this process of creating this structure, they were reanalyzed so that instead of being a pronoun im or dem, uh, they were a new structure where they were divided into two parts. Aboriginal English and Creole uh, has this past marker bin, and that rarely occurs in light Walpuri. So instead of using that, what has happened is that the speakers have taken the past meaning from bin and overlaid it on the m element uh, from English and Aboriginal English and Creole, such that they have this new structure where the m is a separate morpheme with, with its own meaning that means present or past or non-future. And then that is regularised across the system and you have a new paradigm. Another example. There was some kids playing a card game for me and using that structure there. So what are the influences on the new structure? Again, we see that the word shape or form comes from the varieties of English or Creole. But the structure and the meaning comes from multiple sources. In Walpri, the auxiliary has a structure where there's a time element, which is the cut there, meaning present, and a pronoun element. And you can see that all through the system, these are affixes. They're not separate words. So I think that this underlying structure of wanting a time element and a pronoun element affixed together was part of the influence that fed into the new system. In Walpri, the verb and the auxiliary forms combine in different kinds of constructions 
to give the same kinds of semantic readings as we find in Light Walpuri. So in the final column, those three meanings of non-future, future and desiderative or want to are exactly the categories that we find in Light Walpuri. But they're not structural categories in Walpuri, they're semantic categories. And again, they've been overlaid onto the forms in Light Walpuri. So how did the whole language come to be? It was through a two-step process. When the adult groups who are now about 35 years old were children, I think that other adults spoke to them in what is known as a baby talk register. And in that register, they code-switched a lot, and they code-switched in a particular pattern. So it would be something like this, where there would be a Walpuri sentence, but they would insert a Creole pronoun and verb into that sentence. And that is the pattern that the children then conventionalised by analysing it as a single system. At the same time, they added the innovations that we've just been talking about. That group of children, who I think did this maybe when they were three, four or five, certainly before they were teenagers, they then grew up, had children of their own, and so now those children learn that language as one of their first languages, along with Walpuri. And it's their primary language. So the path to this language is a little different. It's not, it wasn't created for intergroup communication. It was created within one group of people in one community, and it's only spoken within that group of people in that community. The speakers were multilingual. There was a lot of code switching. It was directed to children, very young children, in a particular pattern. They then conventionalised it and reanalyzed some of the input they were hearing and then regularised their analysis to create new paradigms. From English and Creole, we get words and a lot of verb structure. From Walpuri, we get words, the noun structure, and also abstract verbal structure. And this new system is the first language of the current generations. So what we've been able to see almost in real time is a new language develop and an innovative structure in that language through a two-step process. Adults had fairly systematic code switching in the speech that they were directing to children. And then the children had a very creative role in conventionalising that input and adding the innovations. The overall structure is unusual because it combines the noun structure from one type of language with the verb structure for another. And there are these innovations which are interesting in that we can see exactly where they've come from. We can see exactly the reanalyses that have taken place and we can see that at the end of that reanalysis there is a new construction. Thank you. <laughs>